0: extra iodine can actually increase the rates of Hashimoto's. And the kind of theory behind that is when the the iodine and the thyroid is processing the iodine to create thyroid hormones, it can be a bit of an inflammatory process.
1: Hi friends, in today's podcast episode we're going to be talking about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. As someone who suffered with burnout, I really had to work on my adrenal function to get my energy back on track. I'm so excited today to be sitting down with Dr. Isabella Vence talking about her latest book, The Adrenal Transformation Protocol, which is set to be released here in the UK on the 18th of May. It's already available in the US. This book focuses on resetting the body's response through targeted safety signals, which we talk about in this episode, including Dr. Isabella's four-week program that's already helped over 3,500 individuals transform things like brain fog, fatigue, anxiety, irritability, sleep issues, and libido. We also talk about thyroid conditions like Hashimoto's and what the various protocols are for helping to heal your body and put these things into remission. We tackle common questions like, is gluten really bad for everyone with a thyroid condition? What's the impact of things like EMF? and how does your thyroid impact fertility and so much more if you know someone that is struggling with burnout or thyroid issues please share this this podcast episode with them because it can help so many people but without further delay let me introduce you now to dr isabel events Hi, Dr. Isabella. It's so wonderful to have you on the show. I've been super pumped to have you here. and it took some time to get this in the calendar, but I'm so excited to talk to you about everything to do with thyroid function, adrenal function, and your new book. Um, A very warm welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Angela. It's such a pleasure to be here with you.
1: It's lovely to have you here. Um, Your books are kind of Bibles, I think, for uh, health coaches and practitioners. Um, I think the best way to start off, really, because I know that you... um, you know, your history is more on thyroid function before you kind of dived into adrenals. What kind of took you there um, into the world of Hashimoto's?
0: So Angela, in full disclosure, I was never interested in the thyroid gland or thyroid hormones or thyroid medications when I was going through pharmacy school. It wasn't until I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's in my 20s after almost a decade of some really kind of confusing symptoms that were kind of brushed off by my, my doctors. And, you know, I was told I was getting older, that everybody's tired, that, that I'm probably just stressed out, um, so on and so forth. And so I got the diagnosis finally, after doing some extended testing that I had Hashimoto's and I wanted to know if there was anything I could do to make myself feel better. And if there was anything I can do in addition to medications or perhaps in place of medications um, to just really feel normal and human again. And that's what led me down the path of becoming a, I guess, a Hashimoto's functional medicine expert slash a human guinea pig was just trying to get myself to feel better and trying to get myself well. And I wrote my first book actually, because one of my cousins who lives in Poland was diagnosed with Hashimoto's and I was like, Okay, mom, we're doing this together. I'm going to write this book and you're going to translate it into Polish so that everybody could benefit from from getting this information and have a manual on how to heal themselves.
1: Amazing. So obviously, like you have it, your cousin has it. uh, There's a kind of genetic predisposition. What do you think when we look at it from that perspective? We know that genes are sort of activated by an environmental perspective. Um, What do you think are the key things for people to sort of watch out for?
0: So absolutely genes are part of the conversation, right? So if you have the genetic predisposition for um, Hashimoto's or an autoimmune condition, that's gonna be there within your DNA, but you also need two other additional things for the condition to manifest. One of them could be an exposure to um, some kind of a trigger. And I know personally, I was exposed to Chernobyl when I lived on the border of Ukraine and Poland. And for a lot of people, Even, you know, they say it's like, oh, it's genetic, it's genetic, but the people that live the closest to Chernobyl, there's a huge percentage of them that ended up with thyroid cancer, Hashimoto's, um, all kinds of thyroid nodules and thyroid issues. So it is um, just remarkable what the environment, what kind of an impact it can have on our gene expression, right? And then the other part of that is going to be intestinal permeability, also known as leaky gut. Dr. Alessio Fasano had found that these three things need to manifest for an autoimmune condition to be present, which is the genetic predisposition, uh, leaky gut, and then the trigger. And in my experience, you can't always focus on what the exact triggers might be. A lot of times I do focus on that and trying to figure out if we can eliminate them from the body and then figuring out like, what can we do to help support gut health, right? So that the gut is not permeable anymore.
1: To optimize my sleep each night, there are two things that I do that are my non-negotiables. The first is to get outside and get early access to morning light. And the second one is to block blue light in the evening with blue light blocking glasses. And the best lenses i found are those by Bon Charge. They don't let any of that sneaky light come in underneath the lens, which I used to find really annoying when I was reading my Kindle and things like that. These lenses block all the blue light and they're super high quality. And the great thing is they look really stylish too. On charges, glasses are made in optics laboratories in Australia. They're not mass produced in factories in Asia. And they have science backed technology that's been tested to ensure they work. And as I say, they have dramatically improved my sleep. I'm sleeping longer, deeper, and I'm feeling refreshed the next morning. And the cool thing about their glasses is they come in non-prescription, prescription and reading options. They also have glasses for every need, including computer glasses to help with digital eye strain, light sensitivity glasses for helping with low mood and migraines. And the blue light blocking glasses that I'm using for improving sleep. They also have other amazing products such as blue, low blue light bulbs, red light therapy devices, EMF 5G protection. I have that on my mobile phone, I have that on my kids' mobile phones, and I also wear their uh Boncharges EMF blocking bracelet. And they're 100% blackout sleep masks, all backed by science. And Bond Charge ship worldwide in rapid time with easy returns and exchanges. And you can save a cool 20% off any of their products in their range. Simply go to bondcharge.com forward slash Angela and use coupon code ANGELA to save 20%. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E dot com slash ANGELA and use coupon code ANGELA to save yourself 20%. And do you think that when you were talking about radiation there, do you think that EMF exposure could be, um, like significant exposure could be enough in someone who has a genetic predisposition?
0: I think there's actually some studies and some emerging research coming out with EMFs giving potential problematic for people, especially those I've seen people who have underlying other things happening in their body, specifically people with Lyme disease and people with mold exposure, they tend to be, you know, overall just a lot more sensitive. So even let's say um, if you have, you were hundred percent healthy, had nothing else going on with you and you and you, um, had the genetic predisposition and you only had EMF exposure, um, you probably would stay healthy. But when you combine EMF exposure with mold exposure, with Lyme, with intestinal permeability, so on and so forth, you end up just your toxic bucket Mm. becomes overloaded and you can't um, protect yourself as well. And you become more sensitive to the environment.
1: Do you know, that's super interesting that you say that because, um, my husband developed the other form of autoimmune thyroid disease. So he developed Graves disease and he is a trader in the city uh, or he still is. And he obviously like has loads and loads of screens around him. It was a very high stress job. And then he developed Graves and his father has antibodies. So interestingly, there was that genetic predisposition. But then when I look back to the time of his diagnosis and where we were living, we've since found that actually that property became very waterlogged over time and while we couldn't see mold. And my son's growth was completely different when we were there. So he moved from like the 90-something percentile right down to the 70th. And at the time, I was like wondering, like, what was going on? Why wasn't he growing? And they removed his tonsils. I was hospitalized with pneumonia. My husband got graves. And clearly, it must have been. And it's really interesting that you say that that combination of something like either lime or mold coupled with EMF can be enough. And I guess stress, which we're going to have to talk about today, and adrenal dysfunction uh, is going to have an impact um with leaky gut because i think this is so important um this is the bit my husband won't want to hear right (laughs) is the need to remove gluten i think a lot of people struggle with that completely do you think i think i heard you and possibly dr mark hyman talking about it that this is helpful in many cases but not necessarily all i just wanted to see what your thoughts are there and what the science shows
0: so there the science shows that if you have celiac disease and if you have Hashimoto's antibodies and subclinical hypothyroidism, if you get off of gluten, you'll be able to, um, in some cases up to anywhere from 20 to 30% of the time, reverse the subclinical hypothyroidism and get rid of thyroid antibodies now. And there's not a lot of science behind gluten sensitivity and people without celiac disease actually getting better with Hashimoto's. However, there is a very, um, I have a lot of clinical experience with this where about 88% of the people that I've worked with will say, even without having celiac disease, they feel better off gluten Hmm. and their brain fog, their fatigue, their weight gain, any digestive issues. A lot of things just get a lot better very, very quickly for them. Sometimes within three days, sometimes within a couple of weeks, and then they also um about 20 to 30% of them will also have a reduction in their thyroid antibodies and now the thing is there are proteins that are on the gluten molecule that cross react with the thyroid gland and so in some cases there might be a case of mistaken identity if the body is reacting to the gluten molecule for whatever reason it may also react to the thyroid gland so even without celiac disease, I do see this like very clinically relevant. And, um, I know I personally was tested for celiac disease. And when I heard about this connection, I do not have celiac disease. And so I was like, I'm not going to quit gluten, blah, blah, <laughs> blah, you know? And then I had acid reflux, carpal tunnel, irritable bowel syndrome, so on and so forth. And then finally, you know, I was just so skeptical and I was like, fine, I'll just quit gluten. And so I could tell everybody that it didn't work. Right. Um, and I quit gluten and dairy and within three days I was like, wait a minute, where did these abs come from? Like I'm not bloated. Holy cow. <laughs> Um, and my acid reflux went away and the carpal tunnel and the IBS. And I was like, holy cow. It actually, I didn't realize that you, your stomach wasn't supposed to hurt after you eat. I thought mm-hmm. normally you just like you ate and then your stomach hurt. That was part of the digestive process. Right. So, um, so definitely I encourage people to do their own experiments and do their own, I guess, science within their bodies to see if those foods are relevant for you. And gluten, dairy, and soy are the three most common foods that aggravate people with, um, Hashimoto's.
1: And did you find, um, like on an ongoing basis on a longer term, do you think it was the dairy or the gluten or both?
0: For me, it was both. Um, I have since been able to normalize or not be sensitive to dairy. I did have gluten on accident about two weeks ago, or not two weeks ago, two years ago, and I did have some digestive distress from that. Um, but I have, I feel like the dairy sensitivity has cleared for me now. Uh, the gluten one is still, it's still present. And we could talk about how I think I, I might have cleared it out of my body too, if that's yeah. How.
1: Let's talk about that. I'd love to hear about that.
0: So you know, they say like children are our greatest teachers. Right. And so a lot of things have changed for me. I used to have this mindset that, you know, there are just foods and they're not going to be good for you for forever. Right. And then when I was going through um, my own healing journey, initially I had come across the autoimmune paleo diet, which is very restrictive and there was a lot of foods that you need to eliminate. And so I was like, okay we're going to have to eliminate a lot of foods here. That's fine. And then I kind of had this mindset that maybe these foods just weren't good for me and maybe not for anybody. And then I went through, um, some, some gut testing and it was revealed. I had a common protozoal parasite known as blastocystis hominis. And, um, once I got rid of that with a protocol, then I was able to eat a lot of grains again. And my thyroid antibodies reduced significantly after that process and um, some additional symptoms vanished. And it's been really interesting because this was, you know, over 10 years ago. And in the last five years, there have been research papers published on the connection between blastocystis hominis, how it could shift the immune system, how it can, if it's present in a person with Hashimoto's then um, treating treating it can actually get the person into remission. So there have been like small case studies published mm. about this. And I'm like, yes, I'm like, I saw this. And I used to see this, um, you know, in my clients about 30% of the time um, when I was using a specific test that is unfortunately no longer available publicly. And um, so that that's kind of been my evolution where I was like, okay, well, maybe maybe it's not the foods. Maybe it's something within my body and so getting off of that i was able to tolerate grains again and um common symptoms with uh with that part- particular protozoa are ibs and hives which i both had like just random hives coming up randomly um it's um like year it's to so hard
1: yeah so hard to deal with that
0: uh huh mm. and then when i was um a new mom i was looking into some ways to support my body to you know after after childbirth after pregnancy after breastfeeding and i started you and during breastfeeding actually i started utilizing some carnitine and then some alfalfa which is a lactation herb and then all of a sudden within 3 days i felt like i had always like after quitting dairy i always had this weird aversion to it, right. Where I would like look at it and smell it. And it grossed me out. Like my body just knew that it wasn't for me. And then all of a sudden dairy was like tasty to me. I was like, this smells good. This tastes good. And then sure enough, my uh, food sensitivity tests cleared. And then I was able to eat dairy without issues at that point on. And so, um, my kind of theory is with, with carnitine, it helps to support our mitochondria and it helps to process fatty acids, which, um, we have them in dairy, and then the alfalfa. I wouldn't recommend it for most people unless unless you want to like lactate because it, it can boost uh, lactation. <laughs> really,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so for <laughs> non-feeding mothers, uh, yeah, or if it's not that time of your life, it's probably not a good thing to supplement with.
0: Exactly. So, um, but utilizing potassium, doing some extra potassium. Alfalfa is a rich source of potassium. May be helpful for for improving dairy digestion. So, um, so, you know, like in a nutshell, I think people when they're starting off on their journey, they have a ton of symptoms. You do want to eliminate the foods that are going to be problematic for you, whether you do an elimination diet or a food sensitivity test, do it. Like that can be really, really helpful for you. And then with time, perhaps once we've kind of done some repair work on your digestive tract and perhaps on some of the, um, some of the products that are going to be helpful for, for, for helping you digest foods or digestive enzymes, you might be able to get, get a lot of foods back, the majority of foods. I haven't figured out gluten yet. So,
1: mm. And with gluten, what about if it's like, I know quite a lot of people that feel gluten sensitive, and this would apply to me, they don't really have any gluten unless it's in sourdough bread. And somehow a small amount of that, I seem okay tolerating. I don't know if this is to do with the fermentation process Um, But that seems to be, have you found people tolerate that sometimes as long as they don't steer and start going back to the pasta and the standard bread and things like that?
0: That's such a, that's such a great point because the sourdough process, when, when it's done correctly over time, that can actually break down gluten. And there's a lot of different theories out there on why people are so reactive to gluten these days. And one of the theories is that we just eat too much of it and we don't take the the same process to really um, break down that gluten protein because it, it's a difficult protein for most people to digest. I have seen some people eat sourdough bread with good results. Yes, that had been previously gluten free and definitely if they make it at home um, or get like a real, you know, like a real sourdough.
1: Mm, then it might work. I suppose it's a little bit, isn't it like dairy when people feel they can't tolerate it because of the lactose. And then they have something like a probiotic rich yogurt and the bacteria have broken down a lot of the lactose and then they can kind of tolerate it. It's just giving your gut a little bit of a helping hand, your microbes.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And some people that are lactose intolerant, you know, there's a lot of options for that. So these would be things like, um, even lactate supplements or utilizing sources of dairy that are lower free in lactose. But then we also have to worry about like the casein and the weight protein issues. And then some people might even be sensitive to, to dairy fat, which, which I, I couldn't even do butter or ghee. I was so sensitive. So oh wow, some consideration really
1: sensitive. Mm-hmm. I found it like um, dairy is particularly kind of problematic for breakouts and things like whey protein. I know, you know, a lot of people will say it's a really good source, like post-workout to use something like a whey protein shake, but I find it, and that to me is quite bloating. I think it's very individual, isn't it? For people, particularly with, as you say, dairy and gluten and soy.
0: Absolutely. It's possible for a person to not react to any of these things at all. And it's possible for a person to react to every single thing um, in them. And so depending on where they are in the healing journey, I say, you know, I'm always talking to people that I feel like are just starting their healing journey. Cause they're the ones that are, have the most questions and just figuring out what you're sensitive to cutting it out for a time period. Don't think about it as a life sentence, right? So think about it as something that you're going to remove and you can always go back to it if it doesn't help. But a lot of times when people get off of a food and they feel, so much better they're like i don't need to eat that food again right Mm,
1: because they're feeling so good and do you take when you take that approach um for people listening who maybe really are struggling and they've just had a recent diagnosis would you advise them to exclude everything at once um and then see and slowly reintroduce things or have you found with patients particularly ones like my husband (laughs) who don't want to always give up things um would you find that actually just saying right let's just take up dairy or let's just take out gluten and see how you are or is it better to go with that full uh, removal protocol and then slowly reintroduce
0: it depends on the patient right so (laughs) yeah i just always try to meet people exactly where they are and try to give them strategies right so i know some people that'll say i want to go full in i'm going to do autoimmune paleo diet this is it this is what i'm doing for 90 days and that's just how what works for them right And then I'll have other people that are like, you know what? I just want to kind of take it slow. What can we do? And so I'll have kind of different start templates for people. And a lot of times some people are like, you know what? Let's just start for two weeks, getting off of gluten and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Or um, I have a reset program that I do with, with a lot of people where they're just coming onto their journey and we're just switching the way that they're eating we're doing more organic foods more vegetables and we're getting off of gluten dairy and soy and it's only a two week long commitment so you're like can you do something you can do anything for those two. yeah you
1: can do anything for two weeks it's so true so true and i love the fact that you meet people where they are because i think with anything in life right compliance is the biggest thing so you want to get compliance Would you like a snapshot of where you are in your health journey right now with personalized advice from me on how to improve? Go to yourtotalhealthcheck.com and take my 60 second biohacking quiz and I will send you your free health score and personalized report with recommendations on each area of my SHIFT protocol for health optimization. SHIFT contains the five key pillars you need to focus on for optimal health, sleep, hormones, insights to track, how to fuel your body with the right nutrition, light, hydration, and breath work, and training for your body and mind. Go to yourtotalhealthcheck.com to find out your score in each area and get personalized recommendations from me on how to improve. It takes less than 60 seconds, and you can take the quiz as many times as you want to and track your improvement by following my guidance. Simply go to yourtotalhealthcheck.com to get started.
0: I mean, and I I see, I talk to people all the time and I see this thing where, where they know everything to do. Like they have all of these amazing things and they can, they can give presentations on what a person should do right. When they, when they're trying to heal, but it's just like implementing it into your routine. Mm. And that's a whole nother set, right? There's the knowledge and then there's the implementation. It's like, how do you set up your life and how do you, how do you actually do it? And for, for me, Um, I'm the kind of person that if I don't, um, if I don't prepare, then there's a good chance of failure. So for myself, when I first started changing my diet, I got cookbooks and I made meal plans and looked up recipes online. And then I had a good two weeks worth of ideas of what I was going to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snacks. Otherwise, if you're just like I'm going to go gluten free tomorrow, and then you're like, "Oh wait, but what I'm going to eat? What am I going to eat for breakfast? I only have two
1: drops, <laughs> yeah, so right? true." Yeah, and you have you have a recipe book as well. Don't
0: I even, do. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, we can link to that in the show notes. Um, while we just stick with thyroid for a moment, because I really want to talk to you about adrenals, and I'm very excited about your new book that's coming out. Um, what about the impact of a thyroid condition on fertility? I think this is where people it can be really upsetting. Um, what have you found there? If you can get the thyroid into um or the autoimmunity into remission, how can people kind of really optimize their their chances really from a per- fertility perspective?
0: Thank you so much for asking about this. This is like a really, really big passion topic for me because most women um worldwide in their childbearing ages, they're not tested, their thyroid isn't tested but, and they'll go on to have multiple miscarriages until they do further workup because having a suboptimal thyroid hormone or even having thyroid antibodies, these can be things that can lead to fertility problems, not becoming, not being able to become pregnant, multiple miscarriages, having a more challenging pregnancy, and they can even leave, lead to like developmental delays in children. If, if the, mother isn't receiving adequate support during her pregnancy. So this is this is a huge, huge um, topic for me. And I wish every woman that was like, even had like a chance of becoming pregnant or even thinking about it was getting her thyroid tested. Now, um, the things that we need to do for that, if you have an elevated TSH, generally between 0. 0.5 and two is where we like to see um, most women, especially women of childbearing age, you may want to um, consider doing thyroid hormone just because that thyroid hormone can increase your chances of conceiving and conceiving increase your chances of keeping the pregnancy too. So this is just one thing where even if your thyroid function is not considered, you know, like overtly hypothyroid, the pregnancy increases our demands for thyroid hormone, right? And so just having a little bit of external thyroid hormone may help. If you have elevated thyroid antibodies, doing something like selenium and um, a a, a dose of about 200 micrograms per day can reduce the thyroid antibodies and that can be helpful with conception as well. And of course I talk a lot about the lifestyle things. Um, If you are somebody where gluten is driving that autoimmune process for you, really working with the nutrition aspect of it to see if there's anything that you you can optimize
1: that's so interesting what you say there about taking thyroid hormone because i think many people that are that have a diagnosis because people just naturally look after their health they just don't want to be on any form of medication they instinctively want to kind of come off everything uh, particularly when they're thinking about fertility Um, so it's really interesting you say actually that may help not just in terms of facilitating the pregnancy but also the pregnancy actually continuing and being successful
0: right and even the the well-being of the of the of the child so women who are already established on thyroid hormones before they become pregnant right when they um they, they get pregnant they actually need to increase their doses of um T4 medication just because that baby <laughs> needs that T4 hormone to help them grow so and help their brain develop and so on and so forth so it's really important to i know i I'm a pharmacist and I know which medications are, um, there's some medications I would never take, right? So I just would say, absolutely not. I will never do that. And thyroid hormone, it's the same of what we would na- make naturally within our bodies, right? So whether you're taking levothyroxine or natural desiccated thyroid, these are the same exact hormones that we're making. And the you know in the US, we have ratings for, whatever medications, if they're, they're safe for pregnancy and breastfeeding and definitely thyroid hormone is like safe and beneficial for both of those.
1: And you think the natural desiccated thyroid extract is also safe.
0: Um, so the, the ones that are, you know, manufactured in the United States, like armor and, um, some of the other ones I, they are going to be beneficial for most people and safe. And of course you want to work with your own doctor. In some cases, you may need an additional source of T4. If you are taking, um, natural desiccated thyroid, when you're taking the T or T4, T3 combo, it's usually the T4 requirement that can go up during pregnancy. Um, there, it, it is a bit of a controversial topic. So I do encourage women to work with their practitioners on that.
1: Yeah, that's what I was wondering, um, but the brands that you've mentioned there are, 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 are good ones. Um, in terms of um, why we're just sort of finishing off here on the thyroid, um, in terms of correcting iodine deficiency, what have you found there? Because iodine is a kind of a difficult one, right? You don't, it's a sort of a Goldilocks. You don't want to have too much. You don't want to have too little. I
0: feel like a lot of people, They, um, they maybe look at some of the thyroid and they think about what's required to make thyroid hormone. And we look at, okay, it's going to be iodine and tyrosine, which is an amino acid. And so in very like simple terms, you're like, okay, your thyroid is not making enough thyroid hormone. Let's give it more of the raw materials. Right. But that's not necessarily like if you are deficient in iodine, if you're deficient in tyrosine taking these will help right? So if you have hypothyroidism because of tyrosine deficiency, iodine deficiency, hypothyroidism, which, which is, which is very relevant worldwide, especially in countries that do not add um, iodine to the salt supply. But in most Western countries, people don't have necessarily iodine deficiency hypothyroidism. They have Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune attack against their thyroid gland. And the, the thing is that extra iodine can actually increase the rates of Hashimoto's. And the kind of theory behind that is when the, the iodine and the thyroid is processing the iodine to create thyroid hormones, it can be a bit of an inflammatory process and the immune system can kind of tag that and notice that and, and, and lead to um, autoimmunity. So generally I will say a lot of times people are like, you have a thyroid condition, here's some iodine. And I'm like, you have a thyroid condition. Is it Hashimoto's? Mm -hmm. If it is, then here's a few other things we need to do before even like thinking about iodine. And one of them might be adding selenium. So when we add iodine, for example, to uh, give a person with Hashimoto's iodine, that can actually, when the doses are too high, that can lead to increased thyroid antibodies, a suppression of TSH. It can lead to a whole host of problems when they're selenium deficient. So Um, so definitely selenium is, is something that I will think about way before I think about iodine and then the doses of iodine. If a person is deficient, then I would think about, um, how much you actually want to take with Hashimoto's and it's going to be anywhere from 100 micrograms to like 350 micrograms per day. And this is like the dose that you would find in a multivitamin or a prenatal vitamin, where if you go too high with it that can actually be more problematic Mm -hmm. and i like it's it's kind of like your iodine tolerance kind of decreases when you have hashimoto's and there's a few other things that are out of balance before you can you can process it in a healthy way
1: and have you found with the selenium that sometimes that can be depleted because somebody has for example high levels of mercury
0: um typically it can be depleted one because of their malabsorption. So I've typically focused on gut health and malabsorption, and that can lead to decrease of selenium and then just not having enough access to it. We we, we get selenium from our foods and depending on the soil where our foods are grown is gonna be dependent on how much selenium we can extract. Definitely um, there are a lot of inflammatory processes in the body and a lot of toxins that can cause us to um, be deficient in selenium as well, such as mercury, such as um, even exposure to yeast that can, that can cause a selenium deficiency. So there it it's very, very nuanced of all of the kind of all of the There's so many different triggers out there and potential issues for why a person might become selenium deficient. And in a way, I feel like it's the body's defense mechanism, right? To um, when it becomes depleted and things.
1: Mm, Interesting. Moving on to adrenal function, because now you have a new book, the adrenal transformation protocol, what, uh, prompted the shift? I mean, they're very closely related and impact each other, but I'm just curious what, what led you down the adrenal route?
0: So definitely everybody that I've worked with, I would say is something is I will test their adrenal function, right? So when I was working with, with a lot of people at first, it was like, okay, do we need to worry about adrenals for this person? And at first it was kind of like iffy. And then after a while I was like, okay, everybody's got going to have adrenal issues to some degree. Um, I would say from the people that I've tested about 90% of them had some sort of adrenal, some degree of adrenal dysfunction and, um, people with Hashimoto's. And I personally was one of them as well. And at first I was like, so skeptical. And somebody said, um, you know, I'm feeling so much better, gluten-free, dairy-free, and I'm still having morning fatigue, some fatigue throughout the day, some anxiety, irritability. And somebody said adrenal fatigue. And I was like, eh, I look it up. It doesn't exist, right? It's, it's I, like when you read about it from the conventional medical standpoint, it's like, it's not an actual thing. It doesn't exist. And then it took probably like the 10th person, 15th person saying it where I was like, okay, I actually have all the symptoms. Let me try what they're recommending. And then I did, and then um, I felt better. So I was like, okay, this, this is really relevant. And so ton of the uh, a lot of my clients that I've worked with, um, I've utilized very specific protocols for adrenals that I was taught and they focused on utilizing hormones like pregnenolone and DHEA, Um, adaptogens, quitting coffee, quitting caffeine, making sure they were sleeping 10 to 12 hours a night. And that worked really, really well for some people. But then I would get other people that would say, I can't quit coffee. Like I just can't do it. Like it's not going to happen. Or they quit and they're still tired or I'll have people that don't feel comfortable taking hormones or um, maybe they react to DHEA. Some women do get like cystic acne from that and all kinds of other Undesirable side effects from that, and then there were people that were just like, "There's no way I could sleep as much as you're telling you to sleep." Like, I have a family, I have a job. Like, I I was just thinking that, (laughs) yeah. Um, And I like, I'm just, I'm a huge believer of there's so many different ways to heal out there, and there's so many different paths to health, and so many different protocols out there, and. I'm, you know, I'm just a lifelong student. I love learning about all the different triggers and root causes and the potential solutions out there. And so, you know, my clients and my readers, they, they come to me with something new. Like, did you know that, um, I feel like my thyroid condition was induced by this. And I'm like, I've never heard of that, but yes, this mechanism makes sense. And we can develop a protocol for that. And, um, what I found is, you know, I kind of got to a place where I was one of those clients that wasn't able to quit the coffee that wasn't able to, um, sleep 12 hours a night and wasn't able to take hormones because I was nursing a brand new baby, like eight month old child that was waking up every two to three hours. And so I had to come up with a, with a new different kind of protocol that could help my adrenals. Right. Mm -hmm. And I came up with this protocol, the adrenal transformation protocol that I, that I'm sharing in my book, where I focused really on setting the body, sending the body safety signals versus doing hormones or, or, you know, even utilizing the, like some, you know, unrealistic life, life change strategies. And so that's, that's kind of my, kind of my whole journey with the adrenals and just being excited when I discovered some new protocols and new pathways to healing.
1: And I would like to dive into that. I have a question just um, slightly ahead of it. When you're looking at adrenal function, and you were saying you test, quite often I'll look at um, the Dutch test and look at someone's cortisol levels. And you might see that, for example, their cortisol rhythm is kind of off course. So their circadian alignment needs a bit of work, or well, their morning cortisol isn't rising quickly enough, right? So they don't feel energized in the morning. Um, but then also there are markers of like the free cortisol and the m- metabolized cortisol. When you talk about adrenal dysfunction, is this where someone has gone beyond the acute stage of stress and now it's been going on so long their body's really beginning to compensate and they're in that sort of preceding state of disease? Is that where we're we're looking? So it's not just they've been through a really like tremendous period of work or they've had some kind of emotional thing, but now they're coming back It's where it's sustained stress over a long period of time.
0: Exactly. And you said it so well, it's, you know, stress we're adapt, you know, we can adapt to it. And we're you, our body knows what to do with acute stressors, right? You're getting chased by a bear or something stressful at works happens. And you kind of go through the stress response and you have elevated cortisol and it helps to get you through the stressful time. And then, you know, you shake it off, you walk it off, you sleep it off, whatever the case is. And then your body goes back to that normal alignment with um, the healthy alignment with the circadian rhythm where we produce Um, just the right amounts of cortisol at the right times throughout the day. And then we're not like clearing it out too quickly, or we're not like hoarding it and keeping it in the body too long. And so what does happen though, is people, when they are under under that chronic sustained stress response, that alignment with the circadian rhythm just kind of goes away. And we might produce too much cortisol, like on a prolonged basis, we might be on a cortisol roller coaster where instead of having healthy levels of cortisol in the morning that gradually take us on this lovely slide until the evening, we might be like this throughout our day and feel anxious and stressed out, right? And then you might also have um, what I kind of call like a flatlined adrenal curve is people that they just don't have a cortisol spike in the morning. And they're, they're have a hard time getting out of bed and they're brain fogged and they're super tired and they sleep in. The whole day might go on like that. And some people might have a burst of energy at night where they're wired and tired or can't sleep. And then other people, you know, just kind of feel low the whole day and they'll go to bed. They'll be like, when I go to bed at 9 p.m., why am I still tired? Right. Hmm. So um, there's different types of adaptations, like you said, the body will make when it senses stress in our environment from or within our internal environment for a prolonged time period.
1: And when you're looking that, are you focusing more on the actual rhythm of what it's showing and whether it's in accordance with how it should be from a circadian point of view um, and actually seeing that that spike in the morning and then slowly coming down? or Are you looking at the overall levels like the metabolized cortisol in response to things like DHEA, which is a more kind of anabolic hormone? Are you looking at the ratios to see what level they're at?
0: I when I work with clients, I would go through like a really deep analysis and I would go through. Um, ordering, you know, sometimes, you know, I love lab tests, and I can <laughs> study them, I like go to all the webinars, and I'll, I'll call the lab consultants and just just chat with them about things, right. So, um, so I personally love it all. And I would go through that in detail and try to optimize all of the different parameters. What I found, though, is that's not realistic and accessible for most of the people in my community is to have like, you know, a dedicated practitioner, it's one, it's challenging to find a practitioner that orders these labs, right? Second, um, cost might be an issue, because a lot of times they they do cost out of pocket for the United mm-hmm. States, they're not reimbursed by insurance companies. And then another part is like, sometimes the practitioners may not give you, you know, they'll do the testing, but your the protocol might not be compatible for you, right? So they might say, take this, but you know, you can't your DHEA might be low, but when you take DHEA, you might have skin breakouts and so on and so forth. And so I wanted to come up with like a completely different paradigm where no testing is required and where the person doesn't need to necessarily like take hormones and really worry about things, rather just focusing on like getting out of that fight or flight mode and just shifting the body into like a thriving mode And the way that I do that is just through targeted safety signals. So this, my programs and my protocol that I talk about in my new book, this is something a person can do, a health coach can do in conjunction with working with like a super detail-oriented practitioner that can put them on the hormones if they need them. And that can help them, um, you know, really optimize things. But a lot of the things that I do see is like people's symptoms do improve, like in a faster time frame than they did when I was utilizing just, you know, really like the precision medicine of, of giving you like a little bit of, you know, this many drops of pregnenolone in the morning and, and some licorice to really raise that cortisol curve. Um, because your body kind of does it for you when it has the right safety signals, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And so my results are now like three to four weeks where people see a significant shift in brain fog, fatigue, morning fatigue, irritability, anxiety, and sleep issues versus when I was working with more of the, you know, analytics, it was like, okay, so we're doing your test. Okay. Did you do your test yet? Oh, you haven't done it yet. Did you do it? Did you do it yet? Oh no, you haven't done it. Okay. Like month goes by and they Mm. finally do their test a few weeks go by and then they get the test results. A few more weeks go by until we find the time to schedule. And so You know what I'm saying? Like it's Mm. now it's like, here's the plan and you're going to feel better in three weeks versus we have to wait for testing in between all these appointments. So, um, and the other thing is like the protocols used to take much longer to work too. Sometimes three months to two years is when I would see the results that I do from just shifting the stress response into just shifting you out of that stress response and putting you in a more thriving state. I love that. That's so- That's just so powerful. I love
1: that because that's kind of what I truly believe. I went on my own healing journey and I just, I totally subscribe to what, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about, right, is the body has an innate ability, given the right situation, to heal itself. And I think, as you were saying there, you could go, and I think the first thing I would say for people listening who haven't done these tests, they're actually really quite tricky to do, because even something like the Dutch test that you're going to do at home, you think, okay, that's at home, that's quite easy. You've got to test multiple times a day urine, multiple times saliva, and it's actually a real faff. And I think the mental block of thinking god when am i going to do it and then if you're trying to do it around your menstrual cycle as well it's, it becomes something that you put off put off when actually with your protocol people could be getting well a lot more quickly um the other thing i says is when you're prescribing lots of different things their life circumstances over two years could be changing quite significantly and now their adrenal profile is changing anyway and they haven't learned to self-manage right because it's all effectively out of a bottle as opposed to them making changes um Exactly, so, yeah, which is really important because it's much more empowering. So let's can we people can go and buy the book. It's coming out. We were just discussing, weren't we, offline the dates? I think it is the eighteenth of April that the book comes out. Um, That's right. perfect. Um, and so we will link to that. But just could you do a quick summary of what are the things people need to think about if they want to fix their adrenal protocol? And I know you are their adrenal. Sorry, I know you have the full protocol in the book.
0: Absolutely. So really thinking about why your body feels like it's under stress, right? And so the the kind of key indicators are, are what's going to send those danger signals to our body. These are going to be things like sleep deprivation. So if you're not getting enough sleep, whether that's sleep apnea, or you're just using that to get enough sleep, or there's something that's disturbing you, if you could correct that, that would be super helpful for you. The other parts are going to be like psychological stress so if you are pressured at work if you have pressured deadlines you're not taking that time to really um enjoy life and and do things that are pleasurable to you then you're going to be kind of in that fight or flight state mode all the time then we think about history of traumas or things that have happened to you that maybe shift your perception of stress so if you're somebody that's gone through a lot of trauma your your body might be stuck in that um fight or flight mode, unless you really address that traumatic experience with some deeper work. And then there's things like nutritional stressors. So blood sugar imbalances, nutrient deficiencies, skipping meals, not eating enough calories, um, as well as doing too much exercise. These things can be very, very stressful for the body because the body can kind of get this message that we're in a famine or we're in a war, you know, our cave woman genes would, would not like skip meals and would not be eating foods that are inflammatory to us. Right. If we, um, if we didn't have to. And so thinking about making sure that you send your body, those safety signals that you are not in a war, that you're not in a famine, that you are not like in a life-threatening situation, This is a fabulous place to start. So making sure that you're nourishing yourself, you're eating for blood sugar balance. For most people, this means more protein and more fat. You're getting some micronutrients on board. So common things that get depleted when we're in a stress response, B vitamins, vitamin C, magnesium, electrolytes. These can be very much game-changing as well as um, mitochondrial support like D-ribose and carnitine and carnitine are some of the things that I'll recommend for people to really utilize, to replenish ourselves. Right. And then just, I think for me, the biggest thing is finding time to do pleasurable activities for a lot of people. This looks like time in nature, um, making sure that you're doing something that you're doing just for that, for the fun of it. There's this like hustle culture that talks about, okay, if you have a hobby, try to, try to like make money off of it or try to make a business off of it. And I feel like that just means you're working around the clock, right? Mm-hmm. And if you could find the time for, for doing things that you enjoy, that can really quickly shift you into that thriving mode. It's just, um just a lot of these strategies that I focus on. And the, the beauty of it is like most people enjoy these strategies. Mm-hmm. So I'm not asking you to like, you know, do things that you don't enjoy. Most of the things I focus on are just really pleasurable activities to adding them into your daily routine. And that can really shift your stress response in just a few weeks.
1: Yeah, amazing. And with the, um, you mentioned fasting there and things like that. I think we've kind of been conditioned over the last few years as women that we've got to be like doing these super kind of, um, high profile jobs and fasting for like 16 to 24 hours a day, or even like three day water only fast and exercising at 5am in the morning. And my, 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 uh, my only experience is this just is way too much for the adrenals and for your female sex hormones. Um, do you find that when you're helping someone rebalance their adrenal function, that actually avoiding longer fast or fasting more than 12 hours is a good idea? I just wonder where you come out on that.
0: I think, you know, everybody has their unique body and everybody needs to do what makes them feel best. And I know fasting is super popular and helpful for a lot of people my ladies that i've that i work with that come to me because they're brain fog fatigued and overwhelmed and they have trouble waking up in the morning and they're you know they're running they're just burned out fasting can actually make them feel worse extreme exercise like everybody's like go running it'll make you feel better but for them actually that depletes their energy further and so um In many cases, I might recommend that they eat every two to three hours throughout the day, and then I'll even say if you're waking up in the middle of the night, put a banana next to your bedside, and then make sure you have a snack, you know, before you eat, to kind of get you back on that solid circadian rhythm. And you know, fasting can be healthy for a lot of people if they're healthy enough to fast. If that makes sense, right? Mm. But when you're in that really depleted state, the fasting can actually send your metabolism further from what you want it to be like. And I go back to like the safety theory that women are so tuned into our environment. If you're, if you're in a, like, you know, a lot of women are, are like, okay, I have this body that tells me that, um, you know, I, if I'm fasting and exercising a lot, my body picks up the message that we're in a famine and it's going to help me by slowing down my metabolism. Right. And a lot of women are it's like
1: opposite I'm... to yeah, what you
0: want. Yeah. And I know yeah. for certain things work. You know, you'll see like <laughs> memes on social media where my husband did this and he lost, you know, 20 pounds and I did this and I gained his 20 pounds. And so we just have to be really mindful of our unique hormones, of our unique makeup and the current state that we're in, right? If we're like super stressed, like Fasting can be too big of a stressor, like cold plunges can be really, really fabulous. But if you're in an adrenal burnout, that can make you feel worse. So a lot of times I'll recommend things that like build you up like nice, soothing, hot baths and Epsom salts before you start doing some of these um, resilience building exercises. Like definitely resilience is a part of what I preach, but it is more of like the advanced thing. Like we have to kind of get to a point where stressors are not too much for us because people with the adrenal dysfunction burnout, they don't mount a healthy like cortisol spike to even good stressors They They can just be super depleted where just everything is overwhelming to them. So, so um, maybe you do three, four weeks of the program, you might be able to introduce a lot of these things and only do them if they make you feel better.
1: Yeah, I love that. Only do them if they make you feel better. Um, Last question, just because I think I see it on your hand. I think you're wearing an aura ring like me. Is that right? Do you look when you're looking at adrenal profiling and helping someone, would you encourage them to look at HRV as a metric? um and try and and are these things that we're talking about have you found that these actually start to move the needle because i know a lot of women that i see that are in my community when they're working really hard they get frustrated that their hrv is lower than they would like it to be and i think many of these protocols you're sharing would be helpful to them have you seen improvements in things like hrv with that
0: i see a lot of improvements in deep sleep so um, interesting yeah so deep restorative sleep and rem sleep are some of the improvements that we start seeing when the body gets into this, um, state where we start, um, healing in our sleep, where we, a lot of times people will start on refreshing sleep and they're stuck in that fight or flight mode. So they might have frequent night wakings. They may wake up at 3 AM. They wake up unrefreshed, and they're, um, you know, they're their profiles for deep sleep and the REM sleep tend to be kind of low. And then once we get these, um, adrenal things reestablished, their body actually heals more during sleep. So it's, it's very impressive because they start regenerating their brain and their body better when they can fully get into like a restful period. I would love to do a test on HRV. I have not done that. So, um, I love like a lot of gadgets and I have a ton of gadgets, At the same time, I know not everybody has access to these things. I I think they should, but not everybody is um, like, you know, I, in my ideal world, I would like test everybody for like the Dutch and adrenal saliva test. And I would have them wear an aura ring and I would have them do CGMs and so on and so forth. And, you know, just do a whole comprehensive Mm -hmm. workup for them, but I know that's not accessible. So I haven't, um, I haven't done a lot of research on that. I primarily focus on the symptoms and then I've had people report on their, um, on their sleep parameters.
1: There's, um, there's quite an interesting thing that I've observed. So there's a device called, um, first beat it's a bodyguard here in the UK. That's a medical grade device, ECG that you can put onto your chest and I'm doing it with a group, um, have a a biosyncing program where you sync with things like your physiology and and circadian rhythm. And we're measuring HRV and what I observed, which is really interesting, which fits very much with your protocol, is you can see on that because you wear it day and night for just an assessment period. And you could assess for one day, three days or five days uh, and use it on a patient. And you can see whether they go into deep recovery. So it will show you the level of sympathetic versus parasympathetic activity. And it'll show you the period of time and also the intensity. And what I observe is the more that you put little pieces of relaxation into the day, like you're talking about time in nature and balance that sympathetic with the parasympathetic, the deeper the recovery at night. And also uh, what's interesting is if you've had a bad sleep and I've tested this on myself actually, and then you do something like um, uh, meditation or visualization, or even resonant frequency breathing, you can get deeper recovery than you did at sleep. So you can make up some of the deficits. So it's really interesting because everything you're saying, it kind of lines up with the, the data that I've sort of been studying recently.
0: Oh, I love that. And you'll have to give me the information on this, on this new cool device. I actually don't have that one. So
1: yeah for sure yeah yeah definitely i can i can share that with you because it's really interesting and it kind of gives people like they can actually see it and they're like oh <laughs> and they pay attention right uh it's 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 not expensive and it's assessments that people can use in clinics and then do an assessment and then share it with another patient for example
0: um, Gosh, i love that
1: yeah it's been so amazing to have you on the show i think i could like i'm so grateful for the time you've given us um i could talk to you literally all afternoon um Please first of all just share where can people find you um, and your work?
0: Sure. My website is thyroidpharmacist.com. I have a ABCs of adrenals guide at thyroidpharmacist.com slash ABC that's free for everybody and that goes over some of the nutrients that are commonly um, burned through the stress response. And then I have um, my new book is out everywhere where fine books are sold. So Barnes and Noble or Amazon or your online retailers, you can get that. Um, It's going to be out April 5th, April 18th. And then um, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. So come and find me there.
1: Awesome. And I love your Instagram. You share tons of information on there with like really helpful reels and things. So we will link to all of that in the show notes. Thank
0: you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Angela. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening to today's show and for your interest in health optimization for high performance. If you're new to my podcast, you may be interested to know that you can get a free health score and report complete with personalized recommendations on how to optimize your sleep, nutrition, fitness, and resilience in the top link in the show notes below. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Links to everything we talked about are also in the show notes. And if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe for more.